Welcome to this second Saturday of Easter, although technically it's the first Saturday of Easter, so I don't know how that works. This second week of Eastertide, a great 50 days that we celebrate the resurrection. Uh, And welcome on this most strange and unusual day. I don't know how it's been uh, everywhere, but we've been in Rockford and, and back home in Sherland and uh, from from blizzard, whiteout conditions, full powder, snow on the ground, to 30 minutes later, sun shining, and you wouldn't even know it snowed. So, only in the Midwest are we fortunate enough to have constant, even in the midst of one day, reminders of death and resurrection over and over and over again. Our scripture uh, lesson today comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. If you want to get your Bibles or your Bible apps out, it will also be on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, and we are reading from the Common English Bible. Um, I should welcome you here. I forgot to do that in the midst of everything. And welcome all of those joining us online and through our podcast. Remember, we podcast all of our sermon and teaching times. And you can find those at www.findnewlifeumc.org or through iTunes, New Life UMC, or we share those on our Facebook page, uh, backslash New Life UMC. All of those. Hear these words from the Apostle Paul to the church of Ephesus. You are saved by God's grace because of your faith. This salvation is God's gift. It's not something you possess. It's not something you did that you can be proud of. Instead, we are God's accomplishment, created in Jesus Christ to do good things. God planned for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. God bless the reading of the word today. Let's have a word of prayer as we begin. Lord, we thank you for this unusual day. We thank you for this time to gather. We thank you for this great season of Easter, remembering your death and resurrection, remembering new life is available to us today and all days. Open us now. Send your spirit to this place into each of our hearts that we can truly hear, truly feel, truly experience your word, your call, your life in our lives as we walk into our world. We thank you and pray in your holy name. Amen. I am blessed in many ways, but I am blessed to have many friends who come to English as a second language. And in working with them and in learning with them and going to school with them and uh, studying with them and sharing with them, I have come to realize that not everything translates well especially sarcasm, hyperboles, and idioms, which I am like to do in everyday conversation. Some things just don't translate. Now, I've also found this true in raising and surviving two toddlers and in the midst of a third, that sometimes when we communicate something to our children, they process it and assimilate it into their daily language much differently than it's intended to be used. One example from my eldest happened uh, around something called buffering. Are you familiar with this term? 
when you're trying to watch a video online streaming, sometimes there's this little wheelie circle of death, right? It's the worst thing to happen when you're trying to watch something, especially when you're three or four and you're trying to watch your shows. And so we would be watching Netflix and Daniel Tiger and Thomas and Curious George, mostly Curious George. And Alex would ask, what's happening? With some fairly uh, stringent concern. And I would say, the TV is buffering. I didn't necessarily explain that to him in great detail, but that happened several times and I used that term, buffering. So the next time that that happened, Alex looks at me and he says, the TV is barfering. Knowing what it meant to barf and how unpleasant that was and knowing that it was also unpleasant to not have his videos instantly in front of him, he took what he thought I said and turned it into a new coined phrase. The video is barfering. I wonder then how much of our faith, our theology, and our understanding of what we believe is truly based on truth or is based on some kind of piecemeal assumption of what we have compiled internally. We've celebrated Resurrection Sunday. We're now living in the newness of Eastertide, great 50 days. We say we believe, but what do we really believe? What does our belief really do for us? Thankfully, these issues are not new to us. They are centuries and millennium old. And they have been asked by every generation of Christian since Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now, the founder of our movement, John Wesley, addressed these questions several times and sought to share answers. So today we're going to begin a journey of asking questions about and understanding our faith. Today we'll use teachings from John Wesley's sermon, Salvation by Faith. So Paul writes to his letter, or to his church in Ephesus, in the book of Ephesians, you are saved by God's grace because of your faith. Wonderful. If that's one that you want to memorize, that's a pretty good one. You are saved by God's grace because of your faith. Now, we believe God's grace is that unearned, unmerited, loving action of God in our lives. Freely given. Grace was God coming to earth as Jesus Christ. Grace was Jesus living, dying, and rising again. Grace is God's saving plan. We even proclaim it, right? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now we believe in God's goodness, God's mercy and justice, but we also make some assumptions. What is this faith that we are saved by? And what kind of salvation do we have? Those are the two questions I want to talk about today. Because it's all too easy to pass over that and not actually think through the kind of faith and the kind of salvation we have. So let's explore the previous question first. First, what kind of faith is it that we are saved by? Now we all know what faith is, right? Anybody want to stand up and give a little dissertation about what faith is? 
It's a pretty important thing, don't you think? If it is that which we are saved by, it is perhaps vital to us. So we need to answer this question. What kind of faith are we saved by? Because we can have faith in a myriad of things, in many different things, all through our lives. So let's start by asking what kind of faith isn't it? And then we'll establish what kind of faith it is. So first, it's not faith of the heathens. That's John Wesley's language. Obviously, I would never use that word. It's just not a word that we use. So I I, I want to change it into kind of 21st century language. It is not the faith of the uncommitted. It is not the faith of the spiritual, but not religious. It's not the faith of the agnostic or the humanist atheist. There are many people who believe in God, who believe in gods, who believe that there's some mysterious power or force out there. There are those who believe doing good leads to rewards and doing evil leads to suffering. There are those who believe that we should be just and good and do right by our neighbors, that we may do good work. We believe that the grace of God is alive in them, but this is not the faith we are talking about. Secondly, it is not the faith of the devil. Just want to sit that for a second. It's not the faith of the devil. Yes, the devil has faith. We know this because when Jesus approached demons and evil spirits, they recognized him. They acknowledged who he was and understood that he was from God, even that he was God. Now, if you think of the Lucifer myth, which isn't actually in our Bible, but comes from a various number of stories, he was an angel in heaven, right? Who better to know God than one who is in God's kingdom in heaven. So the devil has a faith in God, God's goodness, and even knowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's not the faith that we are saved by. Thirdly, this might blow your minds the most, it is not the faith of the apostles, the disciples, those men and women who devoted their lives to Christ while he was yet alive. They had a powerful faith, right? Peter, James, John, Andrew, they were sitting in their boats, working, fishing. Jesus says, come, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And they got up and they left, and they did that for three years. It's pretty powerful faith. The other disciples did the same thing. They followed Jesus for three years, saw him perform miraculous things, saw him teach in ways no one had before. The disciples even performed miracles. Healing, casting out demons by the grace of God. It's hard to imagine a faith more real than that. But that's not the faith that we are saved by. Now you're asking, what the? kind of faith are you talking about so what faith is it that we are saved by it is faith in jesus christ and god whom he sent it's different than the faith of the generalist because our faith is specific we believe jesus christ is lord he's the messiah who saves us he is god it's different than general faith it's different than the faith of the devil the devil knows christ and knows he is god it is a knowledge but it's based in what he knows, 
not what he experiences. Our faith is both head and heart based. It is both knowledge and experience. And our faith is not like the faith of the apostles who knew Christ on earth while he lived. Our faith realizes the necessity of Christ's death and resurrection, something the apostles did not get until after it happened. My children will have faith. It's just that simple. My children will have faith. Children look to please their parents, and like it or not, most children, I'm sorry, young people, believe what their parents believe. You spend a lot of time fighting that, and then you realize, oh yeah, I've been believing what my parents believed all the time. My children will be taught the stories of the Bible. They will know who God is and what God has done for them. Jennifer and I will do our best to model what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ in the things we say and do, even though we will often fail. So as they grow, they will have faith. They will accept certain things without thinking much about them, without asking questions, believe much of what we believe. But that is the type of faith Paul, or that is not the type of faith Paul is talking about. Excuse me. That is not the type of faith Paul is talking about. At some point, they will have to accept Christ for themselves or not. They will have to believe the mystery. Christ has died. Christ rose again. Christ will come again. They will have to process the Apostles' Creed and know Christ in their hearts as well as their heads. Christian faith is belief in the gospel and total reliance on Jesus Christ. It's not just an ideology. It's not just an academic pursuit. It's not just doing church. Christian faith is trust that Christ is our salvation. That's the kind of faith we're talking about. This brings us to our second question. What are we saved from? You ever thought about that? What is your salvation from? You can't be saved from nothing. Like faith, this word can mean many, many things. But our salvation is specific. It carries with it key aspects and attributes that cannot be glossed over. First, and perhaps most importantly, our salvation is a present reality. It is here. It is now. Paul says, you are saved. He does not say, you will be saved. Someday. When you die. Maybe. He says, you are saved. Now, we often focus on this future hope, a salvation from life and earth. But our salvation is a present hope and a present reality. We are saved today. We are saved for this life. We are saved for the here and now. We can live into that salvation in this very moment. Now, our salvation is a present reality, but the question still remains, what are we saved from? What kind of salvation is it? To be saved, there has to be danger. Right? One doesn't rescue a princess from a fire-breathing turtle dragon without some danger. That's what Bowser is in Super Mario. It's like a turtle dragon thing, right? 
there has to be a threat. There has to be something seeking to do you harm if you are to be saved. So what is it? What is our enemy? What is our threat? Is it terrorists? Perhaps it's liberals. Is it the IRS? For some of you, coming up very soon. No. Our enemy is sin. The very thing that keeps us away from God, God's goodness and God's kingdom. Sin captures us. It locks us away in a castle of unsolved puzzles. Sin holds power over us. It enslaves us. Sin causes suffering, pain, and death. Our salvation is from sin. Christ saved us from sin. And this is the present and real salvation that we have access to today. And if you've never known that or thought about that, we might have to change how you're doing Christianity. Because that changes how we live our lives. That changes how we celebrate Easter. We're not saved from life on this earth. We're not saved from pain, suffering, and death. We are saved from sin. And it looks like this. We are saved from the guilt of our past sin. It pains me to see a guilty Christian. There's nothing sadder than a guilty Christian. Someone adrift and overwhelmed by their past mistakes. Because Jesus Christ came knowing our past mistakes and came to save us from them anyway. If you are saved, you are saved from your past. We've all made mistakes. We've all hurt ourselves. We've all hurt others. But Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again to save you from all of that. God loves you despite your past and offers you salvation. As people saved by our faith in Christ, we should no longer live in guilt of our past. We should throw that guilt off. Live into the light of our future. Cannot change what has already happened. But we can change what we do from now on. We are also saved from fear. How much fear is in our world today? Most of our election cycle revolves around it. We vote with our fear. We manufacture fear to sell products. We manufacture fear to justify sin. We still fear the wrath of God. We believe God causes bad things to happen to us because of our mistakes or unbelief. We may even fear the fire of hell. Complete separation from the joy of God. We are saved from such things. There's no condemnation in Christ. If that's not good news, I don't know what is. There is no condemnation in Christ. When we are born anew, we are born into God's family. Adopted sons and daughters. Nothing my children could do can separate them from my love. How much more is that true of the God who loves us perfectly like sons and daughters? We should not fear the temporary things of this world or the eternal things because God in Christ has already been victorious over all powers. No powers can separate us from the love of God. Therefore, we are also saved from the power of sin. And this is the tough one. Sin is a powerful adversary that can hold us, bind us, enslave us. Ask anyone who struggled with addiction or mental illness. It's not something you can control. 
It's something that takes over your life. It's something that imprisons you, enslaves you. Sin works the same way. The more we choose ourselves over others, the more we allow fear, anger, hatred to rule us, the stronger the bars of our prison cells become. If you've held a grudge so long, you don't remember what it was for. You don't remember how it started. And I'm not making that up. I've run into that a lot. You're under the power of sin. If you respond after an affirmation, after an optimistic statement and a glimmer of hope with sarcasm and pessimism, you might be under the power of sin. If you let yourself get so worked up by your actions that you become belligerent and violent, you are under the power of sin. If you can't remember the last time you experienced hope, joy, peace, or love, you are probably under the power of sin, although it may have nothing to do with your actions. Remember, there's not just personal sin, there's systematic sin and corporate sin. Some sin has nothing to do with us, but everything to do with history and our world. The good news, the great news, the Easter news, is sin has no power over those who accept salvation in Jesus Christ. Sin is no longer your enemy. You are saved from it. Saved. In fact, being born new in Christ places the ultimate power inside of you. Sin can't take hold if you let Christ live in your life. Sin cannot control you. It cannot enslave you. It cannot ensnare you. With the power of God's Spirit alive in you, no other power stands a chance. This salvation is so true. It is so real. And I want you to hear this, and it is challenging. It was challenging when John Wesley said it 250 years ago. It's challenging today. It's challenging when Jesus Christ stepped in in the midst of a woman who was almost ready to be stoned to death and told her, get up, sin no more. We can live without sin because we've been saved from it. We can't live from having sinned. That's impossible. Our past is behind us. But we can live from sin from this day forward. It's pretty tough. But it's possible. If Christ lives in you. If you proclaim to be Christian and continue to habitually sin, you're not alive in Christ's faith. If a man abuses his spouse, is saved by faith in Christ, and continues to abuse his spouse, he is not saved from anything. Do you get how salvation works? If you are willingly sinful, you are not alive in this faith. If you proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and premeditate someone's murder, you're not saved from sin. These are extreme. If you are led by sinful desires, you are not alive in this faith. If you hold that you are a Christian, but you allow yourself to be led by desire for wealth and success, you are not living salvation today. And we don't sin by our weaknesses, word, thought, and deed, because Christ is strong when we are weak. 
So in the midst of temptation, what do we do? Do we give in? Do we sin knowing that Christ will forgive us? Or do we cry out to Lord, save me as Peter fell into the sea? Reaching up and screaming, Lord, save me. If we do, we might respond very differently. We might not give in to temptation. In fact, we won't if we hold fast to that. If you give in to temptation first and cry out for deliverance second, you may have missed the point. There is always forgiveness. There is always a second chance. I believe maybe even after this life ends. But Christ lived and died and rose again to save you from that sin. To save you. And he picks you up off the floor and he says, go and sin no more. Now I have hope to clear this passage up or make it frustratingly more difficult for you. Right? It's not an easy faith, but it is an easy and miraculous and grateful faith because it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with God. Salvation is God's gift. It's not earned. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to get it. It comes when we accept that faith in Jesus Christ as our salvation. But when we realize someone asks us, are you saved? The answer is yes, but not from this body. Not from this earth. We're not saved from pain and suffering and temptation. We're not saved from hunger or poverty. We're not saved from the things of life, ups and downs, stress, anxiety, depression. We're saved from sin. This is our salvation, proclaimed in all aspects of our faith. This isn't crazy, Pastor Mark. This is solid theology as you're going to get based on everyone who's ever lived and ever known anything about Jesus Christ, everyone proclaims we are saved from sin, including Christ himself. Spend these great 50 days. You got 50 days of Easter. Don't just eat Cadbury Easter eggs during that time, like I will be doing. But live into your resurrection Live into your new life. Live into your eternal life. Live into your life saved from sin today. Be free from the power of sin. And sin no more. Amen. If you struggle with that, you can email John Wesley. He's buried in Epworth, England. So I don't know. He may not be buried in Upworth. He's been dead a long time. But that is the beauty of our faith. We are saved. Let us respond to that. Affirmation. Let us respond to that good news by sharing together our faith as contained in the Old and New Testaments and the history of our church as we share together in the Apostles' Creed. ecumenical edition let us read together i believe in god the father almighty creator of heaven and earth i believe in jesus christ his only son our lord who was conceived by the holy spirit 
born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us now move to the prayers of the people. Remembering there are many here not with us tonight. There are many in our world who are living in the midst of oppression and slavery, not only to sin, but to the sin of our world. Systematic and corporate things that they had nothing to do with. Let us remember all those who are in need tonight. As we pray, I again will open an opportunity for you to lift up names. And after each petition, let us end with, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity once again to gather here tonight, to be present, to affirm that we are saved. Not by our own merit, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Allow us to live into that salvation day by day. Picking ourselves up, crying out to you, asking for forgiveness when needed, but striving to sin no more. Lord, we know there's so much in our world, and that is why we live into salvation, because there are so many who need our love and need our compassion, and need justice, and need your life and your grace in their lives. Lord, we pray for those closest to us, our family, friends, those we see every day, those that you put us in contact with. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we pray for those who point us to Christ, who lead us to you in all things, our preachers, teachers, Sunday school, leaders, small group leaders, friends, mentors, grandmothers and grandfathers, children, brothers and sisters. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we pray for all of those who lead us in a divisive election cycle. We pray for those who will take lead of this nation. We pray for those who lead this state and our community those who lead in their families, those who lead in businesses, those who lead overseas and here at home. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we pray for those who are weak and in need. There are so many who are in need of your grace and mercy. Those who struggle with depression, those who struggle with mental illness, with addiction, those who are enslaved by sin of their doing or others those who cannot see a way out of their prison, those who struggle with oppression and injustice in very real ways or very small ways. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we pray for ourselves, each one of us here tonight and your church, New Life, and all of our brother and sister congregations, that we truly may be your kingdom. We may be a light to the nations. We may be salts for this earth. Lord, in your mercy. 
Lord, we now lift up any names and concerns to your care in this moment. Lord, in your mercy. 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 Lord, there are so many more in our hearts, so many names that we encounter every day. We continue to pray for all of those and help us be in places where we can share your good news, your grace, your mercy, your justice with all people, all times. Pray this in your holy name. Amen. Let us now receive our offering for the work of our church. If ushers, you would like to start collecting the offering. And I remind you, you can always make checks out to New Life United Methodist Church. And there are other ways to give if you are interested electronically or other ways you can come talk to myself or Jeff and we can hook you up with alternative ways to support our congregation. As well as supporting the ministry with your time and talent, um, feel free to come Monday at 7 p.m. to our planning team meeting. Uh, we're trying to uh, set up a new structure with our events um, to help uh, with the events of this church. Uh, so if you're interested in helping out um, just with kind of the events and the day-to-day -day stuff, uh, come Monday, 7 p.m. or give me an email if you can't make it and say, I'm interested and let me know a little bit more about that. Uh, we have a couple of events coming up here shortly. Next week is Taste of New Life, the second Saturday. We always bring some food and celebrate. April 15th is Harmony for Hunger. Uh, information there. April 23rd, just announced after worship, uh, we will be having our Star Wars The Force Awakens viewing party. I will be having mine on Tuesday, <clears throat> privately, all day. Um, don't call me. <clears throat> I won't answer. No, that's not true. So April 23rd, here after church, we will be watching um, here in the gym uh, the uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens uh, movie that's coming out this week. Um, we will do pizza at New Life that week as well, and we'll have popcorn and uh, just a good time of fellowship, a uh, good time to invite some family and friends uh, to enjoy that private events. You are all individually invited to this very exclusive private event for copyright and legal reasons. That's what I am saying. And there's always more on the way. Second Thursday is Paper Angel Closet. And uh, I just want to say that we are so blessed uh, not only to help um, those in need with our paper angel closet and i encourage you um if you have a relationship with a school or um with a, a group that is in need come talk to me let's set up a meeting you know bug your student uh school liaison uh so that we can help more and more and more people that's our ultimate goal we have opened it pretty much to anybody in need um but definitely when it comes to kids when it comes to those in need uh we're willing to uh pretty much help anybody uh, we just need to make those connections, build those um, routes to make sure that we're getting goods where they need to be. 
Uh, we are thankful and blessed, of course. Uh, the Sherland Church collects every month for us. Uh, they had a nice big dinner uh, and collected a lot of items um, for us recently. Uh, we also uh, were able to be uh, blessed by the Poplar Grove United Methodist Church down the street in Poplar Grove. They collected a lot of goods for us um, that we were able to bring in. Uh, and so we uh, thank them, our brothers and sisters at Poplar Grove. And also we were able to collect quite a bit of goods from the um, uh, events last Saturday. We collected a good amount of items. Um, so, you know, if you got some time, we've got to put all that stuff away. <laughs> right? Uh, so that is one need. You put it all away. Thank you, Karen. Well, don't, don't, don't come to put stuff away. Karen has gracefully and unasked and unmerited and, and un, um, uh, not undeservedly, but um, un, unasked uh, did that for us. And I thank you, Karen, for that um, ministry for us uh, so we don't have to do that. But uh, we do have uh, appointments here uh, on the second Thursday and uh, as we receive them. So there's always work to be done. Let us now uh, join together in our act of confession. Uh, found on the screen. Again, this is by Dr. Marsha McPhee from Church of the Resurrection. Let us uh, say together, Jesus, our host, we yearn for your communion. We yearn for the hope of new life. We yearn to meet you here. And yet, despite your invitation, we find ourselves stumbling on our way. Forgive us. Hear us now in silence. The confession of your people. Let us take a moment of silence asking for forgiveness wherever we have failed and asking for the power to sin no more. Let us pray. Amen. Hear the good news. All the prophets testify about him. That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. In the name of the risen Christ, you are forgiven. Amen. We come to the table open. We come to the table celebrating. We come to the table ready to receive. I remind you that everyone is welcome at this Christ table. That is why we use gluten-free bread and grape juice instead of wine. I remind you that we come to the table giving thanks to God so that we may leave giving thanks for all that God has done for us. We come to the table as a community so that we remember that in community Christ is in our midst. We come to the table in remembrance. And we remember on the night Jesus was betrayed, He took bread like this. He gave thanks to God and giving it to His disciples, He said, Take, eat. This is My body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. After the meal, He took the cup, He gave thanks to God, and He gave it to His disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is My blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you meet in remembrance of me. We come to the table to experience that grace 
that we were talking about. Forgiveness of sins, but the power to resist temptation. The power to overcome. The power to be like conquerors, the Scripture says. The power to just feel God's love in our lives. Here, in this moment. We come offering ourselves. We don't live by a system where we come bringing sacrifices to church. So we offer our lives, our bodies, our minds, and our hearts, the whole package, as living sacrifices in union with the sacrifice Christ made for us on the cross. And we believe the mystery of our faith. Don't always understand it, but we have faith that Christ has died, Christ was risen, and Christ will come again. And finally, we come to the table seeking just a taste of what life will be like when Christ comes again and we feast in His heavenly banquet. So we pray this prayer. Lord, pour out Your Holy Spirit on all those gathered here and upon these gifts of bread and wine. Truly make them be for us Your body that we may be Your body, the church, redeemed by Your blood for this world and the next. Make us one as You are one. I'll invite the communion servers to come forward. I'll remind you to uh, let the band receive first, and then uh, row by row you will be dismissed, receiving.